You can do everything right. You could lock down your information. You could shred everything. You could not respond to emails or phone calls that are suspicious or click on links, but still become a victim of identity theft. And the reason that is, is because people have been collecting our data from the very first day that we were born. Introducing the Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, International Chairman of the International Association of Financial Crime Investigators. I am with Mark Solomon, our international president. Mark, how you doing today? Mike, I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, I, unfortunately, we had some really bad news to report. We had our 55th annual international conference that was being held in Tampa between August 28th and the 1st. Well, the slogan for that conference was keep fraud at bay. What we couldn't do was keep a hurricane at bay, so we unfortunately had to cancel. We had a mandatory evacuation, and uh, but everybody was safe. Uh, there was some still great networking going on, but uh, you know, I wish we could have had our full uh, five days of training. Uh, Mark, without a doubt, you know, Mother Nature won that one, but we're going to be back. We're That's right. Already looking forward to. Uh Next year, and I guarantee no hurricane there uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada, our next year's conference. That's right. Just have to worry about windstorms. I think that's about it, hopefully. <laughs> so I'm Batman, uh, three to one, no hurricanes. All right, down. good. I'll take that bet right now. So I want to welcome our listeners once again. We appreciate your support. And uh, we also have in the background our incredible producer, Doug Taylor from Modified Media, working the boards. So, Mike, I thought we'd talk about identity theft today. It's a very important topic. And for our listeners, we're going to break this down in four different segments. Uh, the first one's going to be identity theft. What is it? And what are the fraudsters trying to steal from you? Our second segment, we're going to look at the historical ways that these fraudsters steal what we call your personal identifying information. The third segment, we're going to talk about some of the newer technologies that fraudsters are using to commit identity theft. And then, and most importantly, we're going to leave you with some incredible tips and information on what you can do to minimize your exposure from being an identity theft victim. So, Mike, I'm going to kick it off right now. Listen, you've been in law enforcement for many, many years. Uh, what are the fraudsters trying to steal from citizens? Well, I think right off the bat, Mark, I think it's basic information like your name, uh, your social security number, your date of birth, uh, your address, your phone number, um, also your mother's maiden name. And, uh, you know, now they're looking for users' names and passwords, but uh, getting your, your personal information, the more they get of you, the better chances they have of getting credit in your name. Yeah, you know, you're right, Mike. And, you know, for some of that information you just listed, we could change that tomorrow. You know, you could change your username, your password. But when it comes to your date of birth, your social security number, these things are what I like to say are your financial DNA makeup. They're not going to change. You're not going to get a new social security number. So if the fraudsters get your name, your social security number, your date of birth, you know, it is uh, something they can use over and over again. Isn't that right? Right. Um, you know, and one of the things I look for, too, is, 
you know, making sure that once they have all this information, they begin to uh, apply for credit in their name. And, you know, if you got good credit, uh, you need to keep an eye on it because that's what these fraudsters are looking people with great credit. So when, you know, they could apply for credit and get the higher limits, you know, when they apply for a credit card or open up a bank account or, you know, any type of loan. So having good credit, you need to be aware, you need to keep an eye on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, you bring up a good point to people that have good credit are probably going to be targeted more. Uh, but we're also seeing now children, even children, young adults, teenagers who maybe have very little credit because they're looking to steal that information, their social security number, maybe make up what we call a synthetic identity. So across the board, I think everybody needs to, you know, absolutely keep on top of things. And we're going to talk about some of the things that you could do in the, in the future. Hey, Mark, let me give you an example real quick. You brought that up about, you know, your child's, uh, their information, like their social security number. My daughter, when she went to college her first year, she was 18 and uh, she applied for cable. And they did a credit check, believe it or not. And they found out that somebody used their social security number 10 years prior. Wow. And applied for mostly retail stores, um, using her social security number, but somebody else's name, like you said, synthetic identity. So her credit was already destroyed. They, you know, they had some questions to her, but she was like, okay, that happened 10 years ago. I was eight. I don't think right. I was in any of these stores <laughs> uh, getting, getting credit. So, but working with the three uh, major credit bureaus, we were able to get it straightened out. Yeah. And uh, she, now she has great credit. But, uh, yeah, you're right. They, they, could, they could get a child's social security number and, and using that number and another name and start applying for credit. Yeah. And, and you know, and you look at the time that what your daughter was going through at the time. She's trying to uh, buy a new car. It could be a, a student applying for college loans. Right. You know, or, uh, you know, renting their first apartment. So that's why we want parents to run checks on their children's credit history and information and make sure, you know, it, it doesn't come up at the worst time possible, you know, so... Hey, Mark, I got to ask you because, you know, I'm, what I mentioned was the basic, right? Your date of birth, social security number, uh, mother's maiden name, address. But now with all this new technology, and you, I think you know more about this because you're on the retail side. I mean, there's new technology out there, right? Where like facial recognition, fingerprints, your voice that a lot of, um, let's say, retail and financial institutions are using to identify who their customer is. You see, yeah. you see a lot of that, right? No, absolutely. And, and you know, we're going to do a deeper dive in segment three on some of that technology that the fraudsters are using. But, you know, people don't associate their face or their voice as personal identifying information. Well, now in this new age of technology, we are using that to authenticate a person and verify it's the person that you are. So uh, that's a great point, Mike. So, Mike, I, you know, I know I'm much younger than you. You're much older than me, oh, right? <laughs> Not by much. But give me some of those historical ways the fraudsters traditionally steal your personal identifying information. Hey, Mark, I'm not that much older than you, but hold on a second. Let me turn down my A-track player. Okay. All right. You know, you were saying about ways of stealing your PII. You know, old school, right, is uh, dumpster diving, you know, going behind financial institutions, loan companies, and going through the garbage, stealing PII. Now you see a lot more of that where they're hiring companies, shredders to come in and shred all their, you know, all the PII or account information of their customers or the dumpsters are locked, can't get into them. 
Hey, Mark, they always talk about mail theft where the fraudsters get your PII, but not necessarily. I mean, it might facilitate some of the fraud where you might need an address, you know, and then you have that card or statement mailed to that address. But according to the Federal Trade Commission, only 3% of where your PII is stolen is actually from the mail. Um, like I said, it just might facilitate where you might apply for a credit card or checks or uh, loan papers and things like that, and it'll use the mail to send it out. But uh, right. as far as stealing your PII, the mail's not really involved related to that. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting point to bring up. And, you know, I think when we look at years ago, you know, financial institutions would send out a, a monthly statement and it would have your full account number. You know, I remember my check stubs uh, working in law enforcement that would be mailed out and it had your complete social security number. So, you know, I think financial institution businesses are getting much more savvier. We don't see that information out there anymore. So that's a, a good point to bring up that the theft is not the predominant issue uh, currently. Exactly. You know, Mark, other ways of getting your PII, unfortunately, it happens uh, in, in all businesses, all companies where you have bad employees who might have access to their customers' PII, personal identifying information. And uh, so that that is something that I've learned over the years that a lot of companies lock up. You know, you, you leave the cash on locked up in a safe, but you leave your customers or your employees' PII sitting on the desk, you know. Yeah. So I think a lot of companies are, are doing that where they're locking up their customers' PII. And you could talk about the computer, right? Uh, the old days, you could download everything just right off the computer. Now, there's certain uh, security features that you cannot download any PII. I know that's what our agency not not allowed to or cannot download anybody's PII if it's sensitive. Yeah, I, you know, I always say we learn from our mistakes. And, uh, you know, once the fraudster finds a way to exploit to get your information, then it's a reaction by companies and organizations and associations to protect that data. So... Uh, great point. And, and Mike, I, I got to say my three favorite words in the English dictionary, smishing, vishing, and fishing. Um, <laughs> say that fast three times, and uh, I guarantee you won't be able to do it. But, you know, I think a lot of our audience understands what phishing is, and, and it's just people sending emails where they're trying to lure you into responding and giving your personal identifying information. It could be your account number, your PIN number to the account, uh, social security number. And there's just so many different variations of these email scams. But that traditionally has been going on for so many years. But then we started seeing uh, smishing. Uh, and people are like, smishing? Maybe I haven't heard about that. You know, smishing is when you send a text message in the same manner as that email to try and get you to respond and provide personal information. And then finally, vishing, that's a voiceover uh, sort of phishing. So uh, making calls or automated calls, uh, making you believe you're talking to a financial institution or a company that you have an account with. And again, you're providing that personal identifying information because you believe you're really dealing with that company. And we'll have some good tips uh, in our final segment on how to avoid a lot of these scams. You know, I got to uh, bring up this, uh, this mishing. Um, I think this is related because I've gotten uh, a couple of texts from the U.S. Postal Service saying that there's a package uh, waiting for me and uh, that you need to hit this link. I think the main thing related to that is once you hit the link, they're going to ask for some type of personal information or account information to kind of verify who you are. 
but they might even be sending you some type of malware or some type of virus too by hitting that link but that's a really popular one right now yeah no i've seen it i've seen it on my work phone and my personal phone so you know and we'll talk about those never click on those links never provide any personal information from incoming phone calls emails or texts but i don't want to give away all of our tips in the second segment here so all right, Mike. Well, we're going to bring the first time ever a live guest onto the podcast. So we're happy to welcome John from Washington, D.C. Thanks, John, for being on the podcast. Great to be with you guys. Love the show. Hey, John, we're discussing identity theft. I got to ask you, have you ever been a victim of identity theft or anything related to that or a family member? But it's funny. Over the last 10 years, I live in Washington, D.C., and 10 years ago, you never met anyone that was a victim of identity theft. Today, you hardly go a couple of days without hearing somebody, my credit card was stolen, my PIN number was stolen, uh, my mail was stolen. Uh, it has become such a common occurrence in the nation's capital uh, that, you know, up and down the street, it's very uh, not uncommon to meet someone, you know, every few days it has a story to tell, oh, I decided to get rid of my credit card. Uh, someone got into my email account. And of course, I do a lot of writing in Washington. And a couple of years ago, there was a lot of news about famous people being hacked into having their identity stolen and their emails taken. It's funny how over the last decade, it's become a topic of conversation almost every day here. Yeah. And John, you, you know, you're right. And, and it could happen to anybody. It could happen to uh, a celebrity. It could happen to a child. It could happen to uh, an older American, you know, so the fraudsters will pick on anyone they can to, to get the almighty dollar stolen, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've known people that have had money drained from their accounts, and and these are you know sophisticated people that have an IT department working with them, and still uh, it's uh, the level of sophistication, the spear phishing, all the things that particularly target people in Washington, even people who think they have a pretty good technical background, they have fallen prey to it. Yeah, John, you know, Mark and I were just talking about phishing, smishing, and vishing. So I got to ask you, have you ever gotten as a consumer? Have you recently? gotten any text messages from a financial institution or an email wanting your personal information or your bank account information? Have you been, have you been getting that at all? Oh, chronically. In fact, the most popular word I have in my text message is stop because every day you try to tell someone, stop sending this. And you put out your text back immediately. You never click on a link because you'll get lots of people saying, Hey, click on this and fill out your form. And they're just trying to get you to click on some malicious code. It is a chronic problem. You hear people that offer you, we've got a loan for you. Well, we, I didn't ask for a loan. I don't need it, but it comes hit your phone. Uh, hey, this is a survey from your insurance company. It looks like it's coming from your insurance company, but it isn't. Uh, the phone gets bombarded day and night, and it's particularly a phenomenon in, in Washington, D.C. A lot of the professionals, the lawyers, the lobbyists, um, there seem to be a chronic target of these unsolicited appeals on your phone. And the rule of thumb now is just never click. If you don't know who the person is, do not click. Yeah. And John, you know, you bring up a great point too with technology and, and the fraudsters are just revolutionizing fraud. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with deep fakes, but probably most of our audience aren't. But you could actually take a two-dimensional photo, let's say off your social media site, uh, your company website, and actually convert that into a three-dimensional uh, rendering a video, which is a lot of times used by financial institutions, retail businesses to authenticate a person. So, I mean, uh, technology I know is not good or bad. It just depends in whose hands it's in, you know. 
Yeah, and it's funny in Washington. It, it, one of the things that we—it's really noticeable—is that the Congress and the policymakers are way behind the bad guys, right? Uh, there's you know, people realize that this is a chronic problem, but the legislative solutions, the policy solutions, are much slower than than the criminals who are now so sophisticated in in stealing people's identities and, and creating crimes. Yeah, you know, just to go along with that, Mark, remember we were talking in the past about that grandchild in trouble, where grandma gets a call. From somebody purporting to be the grandchild and saying that they're in jail, they need money. Yep. But now they're impersonating that voice of the actual grandchild, and that's that's going to cause more problems. Yeah, you know, voiceover technology is uh, very scary. You could go on YouTube and you know see all these people that are um, you know using celebrities' voices, and again, you, the, the capability to do that is really scary. Because there's three levels of what we call multi-factor authentication. And, John, we're going to put you on the spot right now. Let's see if you know all three. All right. <laughs> Don't be looking so, on your phone. I know one thing one, one thing I always do now whenever you set up an account, I know they'll ask you, you want to create a, an extra layer of identification. And that is a must-yes for me now. I, I never will set up an account unless I know that there's some question or something they're going to ask me that is going to come up the next time uh, I have contact with the app or the person. And that's, uh, that's uh, I guess, what I would know about it from my, my consumer perspective. Ah, it's great. And uh, it's a great point. And most of the time, there's, there's for our audience, there's, there's usually uh, typically two levels of what we call multi-factor authentication. But there's three simple phrases that will cover all three. One is something that you know, like your screen name and your password. Two, something that you have, like a phone where you could enter a one-time passcode or receive it and then reply back. And then three, something that you are. And that's the latest and greatest multi-factor authentication that's going on. And that involves maybe fingerprints, your voice, uh, facial recognition. And it's not used in, in a lot of situations yet, but I think we're headed in that direction. And the fraudsters are already uh, able to compromise facial recognition and voice recognition. So it's it's scary. Hey, Mark, that that's pretty impressive. Did you make that up? Because I liked it a lot. John, doesn't he seem like a pretty smart guy? Uh, I've heard, well, maybe. I mean, he might have wised up as he got older. I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Um, you said your name is John? I did. You sound yeah, and I'll, I'll give you a familiar. Hint. Wait yeah, a minute. Listen, All right. This might sound familiar. This is going to sound familiar. I was an identity theft victim really young when I was uh, in my teenage years. My brother stole my identity so that he could date the girls in my my class, and so that was the first time I knew. That was old school was before technology, because like back in the 1980s. But my brother was the first one to steal my identity. Uh, f- first of all, John, uh, I have to point out that I stole your identity so I could get uh, into the bars, but uh, I never stole any of your ladies. Uh-huh. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special <laughs> guest that uh, I think my producer just uh, pulled a fast one on me, but this is my brother, John Solomon from Just the News, investigative reporter, and uh, older, much older brother than me. I'm much younger. Um, but, John, thanks for coming hey, on the show, me. my friend. <laughs> All right. Mark, I have no knowledge. I love your yeah. show. Yeah, you guys are <laughs> well, doing such great work. This is important stuff. 
Yeah, anytime we have an opportunity to educate the public and hopefully there'll be one less victim or 10 less victims or 100 less uh, victims out there because we share our information. And I have a great co-host here, but I'm going to put you on the spot, John. Who's the better co-host? Is it Mike or me? Oh, no doubt. It's Mike. There's not even a doubt. I mean, it's my Mike. whole family uh, has pictures of Mike up on the wall now. Yeah, on the refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> That's so unfair. Uh, Doug, we're going to cut that section and, and put my name in there for him, the response for John. Anyway, uh, but, but John, thanks for coming on the show, my friend. And uh, any, any other tips you want to give our listeners and what they could do to protect their identity? And Mike and I are going to wrap up and, and give our last thoughts about that as well. It's funny, you know, being in the media profession, I, I do a lot of social media, and I can't tell you the number of times over the last couple of years uh, I've gotten a message on my phone of someone trying to change my password on my Twitter or my Facebook or my Truth or my, one of my social platforms. And it's just one of the many reminders how often people are trying to seize your identity, do something improper with it. And it's that constant awareness that I think has made me, I mean, I literally will not click on something if I don't know what it is. If it comes into my email, my text message, I just won't click on it without being able to verify it first. And I think it's that constant vigilance, which your show preaches. And I think that, you know, getting everyone to this state of hypervigilance is the easiest way to defeat the bad guys. No, John, that, that, that means a lot coming from you as a consumer. I mean, that's, that's great information to give to our listeners. Hey, John, I got to ask you too, because uh, I don't need to joke about identity theft at all, but I've done a lot of presentations throughout my career, and I always start out by saying, you know, the best way to protect yourself from being a victim of identity theft is to have bad credit, right? And nobody could get credit in your name, you know, when you got three college loans on your credit bureau report. Uh, I don't have nothing to worry about, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, well, you're right. They do target people that they look like they can make a quick buck from. And it's, um, it's an amazing world that we live in. And, and, you know, 10 years ago, as a journalist or as someone in Washington, this never came up as an issue. I probably knew someone in my first 20 years of my profession that maybe one or two people I'd heard of that had their credit card identity or someone so on. Now, it literally is every week you hear somebody, you hear some horror story, some IT person come and saying, oh, we got hacked or we, we our credit card got uh, $10,000 of charges on it. So it is the crime of the present and certainly going to be the crime of the future. Yeah. Hey, John, I got to ask you, too, you know, this fake technology where they impersonate somebody, their picture, their voice. I mean, you being in D.C., I mean, do you see, uh, you know, a lot of our politicians being impersonated, their voice. That could be an issue. Oh, yes, it is. Listen, it's important as a journalist now to really be sure that you're talking to the person you think is. There's been some famous instances where somebody called into a, a radio talk show and the talk show host legitimately thought that they were talking to the real person and it was just a fake. Uh, there was even an instance where a congressman thought they were interviewing a witness and it turned out to be a fake person. So even some of the most sophisticated people in the country get punked by this. And it's it's a moment now where trust and verify is such an important prop. And if you can't trust and verify, don't click. Great response. And I think that segues right into our final uh, discussion point here on the podcast is how do we protect our, our financial DNA? And I, I kind of want to start off and just tell every all our listeners here, you can do everything right. You could lock down your information. You could shred everything. You could not respond to emails or phone calls that are suspicious or click on links, but still become a victim of identity theft. And the reason that is, is because people have been collecting our data from the very first day that 
that we were born, from hospitals to doctors to schools to businesses. So sometimes we're at the mercy of how they protect that information. But there's some great tips that we could give. And John, you already gave us one about not clicking on links, you know, trust and verify who you're speaking with. Uh, Mike, you have a, a few more maybe you could throw out there to our audience? Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. You know, you have to stay on top of your PII, your personal information, you know, checking your credit reports, uh, you know, the three major credit bureaus, TransUnion, Equifax, Experian. Um, You could go to annualcreditreport.com and get a free credit report. You could do it once a year and just stay on top and review it, see what's on there, see, make sure that everything is on there is something that you did that you applied for. And uh, just staying on top of your, your credit would help out a lot. And then if you become a victim of identity theft, you know, notify the Federal Trade Commission, make a police report. If it involves a mail, notify the U.S. Postal Inspection Service. But, you know, unfortunately, it, it could happen. So you just have to stay on top of it. Yeah. And, and John, let me ask you, what's your full Social Security number? <laughs> zero, uh, zero, 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 right. zero. Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> That's one you can't do. You're right. Yeah. I bring this up a lot of times, and I'm glad, you know, obviously my brother did not fall for that. But, you know, a lot of times we're not required to give over our Social Security number. And just because it's on a form doesn't mean it has to be filled out or completed. So, again, challenge that why they need that information. Now, listen, I'm not saying if you're having a heart attack and the hospital won't take you in unless you fill out that section. Well, get yourself in the hospital and get checked. And, you know, but, again, this is not required required on every form, every document. And you could go to Social Security Administration to see when you have to and when uh, it might be optional. So um, great answer, John. Mike, you got anything else? Hey, Mark, you're still not using your password 1234, are you? Just want to make sure on that. I added a five to it. Um, John, uh, you got any good tips for passwords? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lots of characters. If it's hard for you to remember, it's a good password. Yeah, upper, lowercase, uh, numerics, uh, other uh, symbols. You know, there's also a lot of good ways of remembering a long password. We actually take a, maybe a famous sentence or a famous quote from somebody. It's going to involve an uppercase, a lowercase, maybe a question mark, exclamation point. Uh, so you could technically, you know, take a phrase that you know very well or something that means something to you and use that. And then the other thing is, you know, we still recommend every 90 days at a minimum to change your passwords. There's password managers that can assist you. But, you know, don't be using that over and over again, what we call credential reuse. If the fraudster gets your password and screen name, they're going to try it on other accounts thinking you're getting lazy and you're just using the same password. So switch it up, change it up, make it difficult for the fraudsters to hack. Yeah, Mark, you're talking a lot of basic and go along with that, you know, have a shredder at home you know, or at work, obviously, shred your documents, you know, and make sure it's a cross-shredder, too, so they can't go through your garbage and get your PII. So, yeah, and listen, you know, creating so many different passwords nowadays, it's challenging to make them different. Don't use the same one over again. Don't use the last five that you used. But there's a lot of tools out there, what we call password managers. Uh, companies like LastPass, Bitwarden, NordPass, NPass, Sticky Password, RoboForm. There's so many different companies, and we're not advocating for any of them. But do your research, see what works for you. And that's a, a really great way to avoid, you know, having to 
to remember your passwords and allow the manager to run that itself. You know, guys, Mark, that's a great idea. I have a password manager. It is so easy to use. And, you know, I have upwards of 100 now with all the different systems I use. It's so great. And you can, you know, some of them even allow you to do mass changes of your passwords without having to go in and change each one individually. So that 90-day sanitation cycle is a lot easier for people. But um, there's so many good ones out there today. It's such a great idea. A lot of people don't know that how easy your life can become in, in doing this hygiene without having to go through a lot of work. Absolutely. Thanks, John. And listen, I know you got to go, but I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, the, our, uh, whoa, whoa, our, whoa, 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 whoa. I got what? one more. I got one more question for John. Oh, go ahead. You know, John, as his older brother, you know, I've, I've been with Mark at some of these conferences and things like that, you know, and, and when he reaches into his wallet, his, his hands are really short and, and <laughs> you know, he opens up his wallet and all his dust flies out. And, you know, was he tight back then, too, with, uh, with, with money? Really? Really, Mike? He <laughs> always was. He was, the, he was the saver in the family. He was the saver. He was a good one. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it, John. I'll sure I'll have you on the show sometime in the next 10 years or so, but thank you uh, for coming on. But not, uh, quite honestly, John, thank you. I know you promote the Protectors podcast on your uh, platforms. We appreciate that. Oh, I love it. And uh, be safe out there. And uh, we're going to shut it down for today and uh, say goodbye to our audience. But thanks for being on the show, John. My pleasure. Good, Great love having this conversation. Such an important conversation. All right. All right. Thank you, John. All right, Mike. Well, we had another great episode. I think I got a little bamboozled here by you and our producer, Doug Taylor, uh, for bringing in that online caller. So, But uh, it was it was great to hear from my brother. He's a good man. And uh, do you know who else is our good people, Mike? Who's that? Our audience. They're That's awesome. Right. We get so much great feedback from you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Share it with others. Mike, uh, what would you like to tell our audience? Well, I got to tell you, our audience, our listeners are our most valuable players. You know, if they want to listen to us, they could go to Spotify, uh, Stitcher, uh, Apple or Google Podcasts, and they could listen to this episode and all our recent 52 prior episodes. Am I right? That's right. And uh, it was great having a guest today. And Mark, you're right. It was an important topic, identity theft. You know, if you become a victim of identity theft, don't be discouraged. You are not alone. A lot of people are victims of identity theft. Mark, you mentioned it. You you could do everything to protect your credit, and it could still happen. So just stay on top of it, you know, report it, and uh, you'll be fine. Absolutely. And anyone else looking for additional information, the Federal Trade Commission's website on identity theft is awesome. If you become a a victim, yeah, they will take you step by step how to recover your identity. They could even tell you if it's a specific type of identity theft, what you need to do. If it is a loan fraud, if it is credit card fraud, banking fraud, they could tell you what steps you need to take on them. You know, not only provide information how to prevent yourself from being the victim of identity theft, but what to do once you do become a victim. A lot of great information there. And there are partners too. We work a lot with the Federal Trade Commission. Unfortunately, they were going to be a speaker at our conference. We've had them on webinars and things like that. And Mike, you know what? Uh, Before we go, I just want to remind our listeners, if you're looking for a topic you'd like to hear about, a fraud, a scam, a cybercrime, or if you even want to come on the show and talk about an experience or you're a subject matter expert, you can reach out to us at IAFCI 
protectorspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear uh, your comments as well. Hey, Mark, we talked about it. You know, maybe, we, you know, talk with, with our producer, Doug. Maybe down the road we could uh, talk about uh, purchasing a cell phone or buying a car. If any of our listeners have some stories regarding that, uh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, hit us up on our email address again. It's IAFCI Protectors Podcast at gmail.com. Well, Mike, I think it's time to go. Thank you, fans, once again, listeners. And I'm going to sign off. It's Mark Solomon from Connecticut. And I'm Mike Carroll in Chicago. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.